Hello, and welcome to this second FRDH, First Rough Draft of History, Election Diary. I'm Michael Goldfarb in Pennsylvania, the tipping point state. Don't just take my word for it. Every pundit, pollster, and professional politician says so. It's election day, finally. The candidates have spent most of the last 48 hours before voting making stops around the Commonwealth, trying to shore up their vote and make sure their partisans actually make the effort to get to the polls. I'd never seen the Trump show in person, so when I read he would be dropping into Scranton, about 90 miles from where I was staying, I applied for accreditation. Got turned down. Decided to go anyway. I figured I could hang out at the edges of the crowd. It's a free country, damn it, and I'm a citizen. So I drove from Reading to Scranton to catch his act. I stayed off the interstate and took the local roads, the ones that follow the curve of the Appalachian ridges and go through towns that thrived in the industrial 19th through mid-20th centuries, but that have seen the bottom fall out since 1973's oil shock effectively ended the post-war economy. I'm in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, but you can see the same decay in Johnstown out west and further into Ohio and up into Michigan. In the Trump era, I have seen similar towns along the Ohio River and on a straight line from Dayton to Detroit and from Cleveland down to Youngstown. And because I can remember when these places thrived, I'm not nostalgic for a golden age. These were places of hard work in factories that polluted the skies. But work there was, work that allowed a man to provide for his family. And I emphasize man because in this era, where women are doing the groundwork that will remove Trump, it's easy to forget that when the creative destruction capitalists destroyed the economy of these communities without a plan for what might happen to the people who lived in them, they were destroying social structures. The structures needed to evolve and change, for sure, so that women could be equal participants in society. But the way in which it was done brought misery into these valleys. And because Trump has been nakedly racist, and because there was an upsurge of police killings of African Americans, Trump and those who made him president are seen through the lens of being misogynist white supremacists. And some of those who follow him absolutely are. But I suspect many are not. And the deeper economic issues that led to the rise of Trump, the forces that turned these old coal communities into decaying remnants with shopping centers on their outskirts and boarded up downtowns, has never been addressed. And for more than four decades, these places have been run down with predictable consequences, family breakdown and drug addiction, over the last four years, I have never stopped feeling saddened and outraged by the billboards and radio ads for addiction treatment centers. Any crisis situation in America can be turned into a profit opportunity. But what saddens me more than anything else is that these places, home to millions of people, have just been left to rot. The two biggest issues long-term facing not just America, but Britain and Europe, are the environment and work. They're linked. How does a vaguely free market economy organize itself to provide full-time employment that allows people to feel somewhat secure without ruining the environment? Politicians of a progressive stripe can only tinker at the margins, but the great policy decisions necessary to square these two circles, or to pursue a Venn diagram analogy, 
interlock them so that inside the space where they are joined is a society where there is work that pays well enough for people to raise a family and keep it together and not harm the environment. Anyway, until the decades-long backlog of decay is cleared up, morbid symptoms like Trump will get elected to high office. I got to Scranton Wilkes-Barre Airport in time. After a day's heavy rain, a cold front was roaring through. The air was clear, but the wind was a steady 30 miles an hour. It was cold. There wasn't much traffic. Cars were neatly parked along access roads and around the airport hotel. Given the TV pictures one sees, I expected it to be a bunch of loonies, but to my surprise, very few cars were decked out in Trump stickers. The pickups with Trump flags flying were very few. Another surprise was how many folks were masked up. Clearly, Trump's people will vote for him, but they won't be intubated for him. There were a fair number of families with young children, but most of those I saw walking towards the outdoor stage were retired couples whose dress signaled differing degrees of prosperity. Or they were young men, baggy jeans, slovenly, slackers without the humane wit given them by Richard Linklater in his film of the same name. That film is 30 years old. There is no longer a wry smile to be found in the reality of slackerdom. AOR radio hits blared out before Trump's arrival. There's something happening in the air tonight. Seemed like a wish for the final push. The campaign is still playing Creedence Clearwater Revival's fortunate son. Someone should tell John Fogarty so he can sick his lawyers on Trump. Encouraged by the number of folks sensibly masked up, I walked towards the entrance, but just before it, I came up against airport security screening. There was a crowd, not all of them masked, and while I am willing to put myself at risk in the service of my listeners to bring them the ground truth of what's happening on a story, this was not a risk I was willing to take for you. I hung back. You could hear the familiar voice. It was like an outdoor rock concert. Lots of movement at the back of the crowd, people coming in and out of the venue. It was like they were there just so they could make the claim, I saw him. And he was playing his old familiar hits. You know, it was very much like listening to a campaign speech from 2016. I'm not sure that's going to really be good enough. It was a pretty typical performance. Early on, the loudest chant was, Jews want Trump. Jews want Trump, from a small Orthodox group who had turned up. Trump exhorted the crowd, We win Pennsylvania. We win the whole deal. You know that. We won last time, and it wasn't even close. That, of course, was a lie. Trump took the state by around 44,000 votes, less than 1% of all the ballots cast. When he told that whopper, the crowd began to chant, We love you. We love you. He bastoned it for a minute and then said, Don't make me cry, because then they will say, and he pointed towards the television cameras, the president broke down and cried. Then he muttered an aside, I don't know, maybe it would lift you up ten points if you do it. As I walked back to my car, a Trump merchandise peddler had altered his pitch. As dozens streamed past his now heavily discounted T-shirts, hoodies, and MAGA caps, everything $5, he was calling out, Biden's a commie. Don't throw your lives in the dumpster. 
vote for the Trumpster or not. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. It will be a long night, but I hope to have another diary up tomorrow. If you like what you're hearing, visit the website www.goldfarbpod.com and make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.